0: Hey there, my name is Carrie Siever. I am a structural engineer with Vector Collaborative and also your host of the Unboxing Project. I am so glad that you're here joining us for season number two at Keep Coming Back. Today we have Aaron Granquist with us. He is a professional engineer. He is a sales manager at Forterra, which is a precast concrete construction products company. Uh, His expertise is in transportation and stormwater management. He got a Bachelor of Science degree in math from the University of Iowa, and also a Bachelor of Science degree in civil engineering from the University of Iowa, and then an MBA from the University of Iowa. He is a member of the board of directors for the Iowa Football Club, and he is also the IT chair of that, mem- or that board of direction. He is also the past chair for the professional advisory board for the University of Iowa with the civil and environmental engineering program, and also the past president of the Iowa section of the American Society of Civil Engineers. So, Aaron, thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me, Carrie.
0: Yes. Uh, Maybe if you want to start a little bit about um, kind of where you were raised and kind of what led you into engineering.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in northern Iowa called Usage, the home of the Green Devils. That's their mascot. Um, My grandfather and my grandmother uh, live there because that's where my mom had grown up and he was an engineer he was a mechanical engineer Uh, but he was a big influence in my life Um, but originally i actually i wanted to go into architecture and i took a lot of drafting courses of course back in those days we were using pen and paper and t squares and drafting tables and things of that nature and i did that for about three years in high school Um, But then I started to become more of a friend with my uncle who lived in Colorado and visit him uh, in summers. And my uncle was a civil engineer and he uh, was a consultant for a number of years. His name was Steve. Um, And he uh, I think when I graduated from college, uh, he was the manager of the city of Loveland's water department. Okay. so so he ended up. being a big influence and through talking with him became more aware of the possibilities of being a civil engineer. And uh, so that eventually ended up guiding me in that direction, but how I got there was a bit circuitous um, because I also happened to have um, a little bit of skill on the football field. And, but it originally took me cause I was kind of a late bloomer. It took me to a junior college to start with. Okay. And so I went to a junior college to start with, and oh. I thought that all of my credits would transfer to, you know, an accredited uh, civil engineering program somewhere. But mm-hmm. that ended up not being the case. Okay. Um, it wasn't so much that the credits didn't transfer; it's that the engineering curriculum at the major schools don't require as many liberal arts type classes that were required at the junior college that I went to. Okay. So. So I had some good success both academically and athletically in junior college, and that was the Waldorf Junior College in uh, Forest City, Iowa. Okay. Um, Had the opportunity to become a preferred walk-on at at the University of Iowa, and went ahead and took that. I I could have gone on partial scholarships at the Division II level, but I really wanted to try my hand at Division I. Um, So I walked on at Iowa and got accepted into the College of Engineering, but of the 60 plus credits that I had accumulated over two years, only 40 of those transferred into the College of Engineering's program. Okay. And so initially, I didn't think that was a big deal. I thought, you know, I could catch up with an extra semester and maybe some summer work. Well, that was in the summer of 94 that I transferred to Iowa, was working out with the team and I ended up redshirting that year, but doing pretty well in my engineering coursework. But the, after every season, the academic support staff at the university does degree up evaluations. And that's okay. up for obvious reasons. They wanna keep everybody as el, you know eligible and make sure they're on track. And it's a requirement that the NCAA has. So when they did my degree evaluation and realized how far behind I was and told me that, hey, if you wanna be eligible, Play the following fall, which would have been after my retreat year, this would have been the fall of 95. I was going to have to take 21 credits in the spring semester and then a full summer load. And being a walk on, I was still working to, you know, part time to get some money, extra spending cash here and there. And trying to do 21 hours of an engineering curriculum plus do spring ball. And then in the summertime, we also looked at the mapping of, you know, the prerequisites and everything like that. That was also going to be very, very difficult, because mm-hmm. as you're well aware, um, you know, you have to take, you know, the formable bodies before you take, you know, concrete, you know, reinforced concrete, and all these other structural courses, and blah, blah, blah. So, so I made the decision at that point to look at my options. I found out if I were to transfer from the College of Engineering to the College of Liberal Arts that I would get, you know, the majority of those credits that I, that didn't transfer, I would get those back. Okay. And so I made the decision at that time that, hey, football is more of a priority based on where I'm at with, with my physical uh, abilities. And hopefully my mind will not get damaged too much as I play football and I'll still be able to go back and get my degree in civil engineering if I wanted to do that. So, yeah. so I ended up uh, going and working on getting a math degree, because I had a strong background in math. Uh, it was one of my favorite subjects. So I figured that if I get a math degree and maybe pair that with a teaching certificate, that would at least give me some options after I graduate, after I'm done playing football, um, should I decide to go that route. But then I also had in the back of my mind, I could also transfer back or start, restart my civil engineering degree. Sure. So, Ended up graduating in four and a half years. um, Lettered uh, for Iowa as a fullback for two years that I played. Mostly I was a second string fullback, um, but I did get to run plays in occasionally. So Hayden Fry was telling me to play and I'd run the play in. That was kind of fun. um, Considering he was kind of an idol to me growing up in Iowa.
0: Right. Um,
1: Played a lot of special teams. We had a couple of bowl victories. Um, It was just a lot of fun. Made some Mm -hmm. long last and uh lifelong friends uh of course doing that uh so after after i got done playing after i had after i had my degree um i took a little bit of time off cuz i was kind of borderline whether or not maybe i'd get a chance as a free agent in the nfl or maybe i would try arena football or something like that so i basically took um a year off to train um open that that first i guess the i guess it would have been the spring and summer of 97. I was really hoping that maybe I'd get a free agent, uh, chance with the team. It didn't really come to fruition. And by then, um, like, let's make a little bit more money. And, uh, by then I was dating who would end up being my future wife and, um, basically went back in the fall and got back into, uh, into the civil engineering curriculum at Iowa and was able to work that out so that I graduated basically in May of 2000, with my civil degree.
0: So how long did that take then to get, cause were you able to use like, cause some of your base courses probably already had, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the two years of physics, the, you know, all the math requirements were taken care of. And I did also have that one semester of in the civil engineering curriculum sure. in 94. So really it only took me two and a half years to, uh, to get through the second uh, Bachelor of Science degree mm-hmm. from Iowa. So so that, uh, that put me to May of 2000. Um, moved and thankfully with my uncle and uh, his connections out in Colorado, he was able to get me, uh, well, I guess if I back up the summer of 99, he was able to get me a, uh, an internship with a consulting firm out in Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. And I got to live with him which was kind of fun, him and his aunt and my, my cousin. Um, so that was pretty fun. But then he also helped me get in touch with some other firms out in the Denver and the Front Range area, anywhere between Denver up to Fort Collins. And uh, had a number of interviews and job offers out there, and I ended up uh, choosing to work for a company called ch 2 on Hill. Um, at the time, they were, I think, the largest privately owned civil engineering firm in the world um, and I think they stayed in that status for a while and then they recently I think two or three years ago they got acquired by Jacobs and now okay. and now their combined forces is the they're now the biggest in the, you know not the biggest private but biggest uh, firm in the entire uh, world regardless but worked there for a couple of years enjoyed that uh, got to work on a wide variety of things everything from local development type projects to paved roads up in the mountains like in national forest because they had contract with um, national forest service and bureau of land management so got to do some really interesting windy roads and some mountains and also some you know churn and burn um, tract housing uh, curb and gutter design (laughs) so it was kind of a wide variety of things and we were probably on... on the same
0: job sites back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the houses, doing the turn and burn houses, and you were doing the curb and gutter.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And all the storms sewer were underneath, too. So that was fun. I enjoyed working there for a couple of years. Uh, but my wife and I, we both grew up in Iowa and wanted to move back. And so we made the decision in the summer of 2002 to come back to Iowa. And I had gotten a job offer. Well, I'd actually gotten second. To brian belk who you know mm-hmm. for a position at the city of iowa city and i always hold this against them but apparently yeah, i, I made you
0: can be sitting next to each other <laughs>
1: just... you know? so it's funny i always joke with uh with rick foss when when uh about that because uh, even though i came in second it was enough of an impression apparently for for uh, rick foss to contact rick white at hr green and recommend that they interview me and that ended up leading to a job and uh, and 15 years of employment with HR green. So, um, yeah, that was always nice that even though I didn't get that job at Iowa City, uh, got a nice recommendation out of it and that sort of yeah. helped further and further my career and change my life, quite frankly. So coming back to Iowa was, was fun. Um, started, uh, we got married, had a couple kids, um, and I don't know, it just seems like the last 15 years, because I have a 15-year-old daughter and just been flat. they flashed by like like yeah. in the blink of an eye. It's nuts. Um that but, is crazy.
0: So when you came so when you guys moved back to Iowa then, and then that's when you went back for your MBA as well. So you were working at HR Green then, and then you were also going to school for your MBA?
1: Yeah, I don't think I started my MBA for a few years after we moved back. I think I started in 2005, but that was something that interested me a lot especially because i wanted to get more involved in the business side of consulting as well as the uh client side that was that also was very interesting to me so i took courses on management uh you know there's there's core courses i think 10 of the of the 15 courses are core and then the the five electives you can kind of specialize and i tried to specialize in management and also um like leadership and team building as well as uh, pick a class on client relationship management so okay uh, and that that took me and and HR Green picked up the bill for that Um, they they did have a cap on on how much they reimburse you for tuition on a yearly basis so I could take up to three classes a year so what normally would have taken three years if, if you take the normal curriculum which is five classes a year it took me about five years, but that was absolutely fine because, you know, I had a kid, a new kid and eventually a second kid, by at the end of that and I was also, well, I guess I thankfully passed the PE the first time, like right before I started my MBA coursework. So I didn't have those overlapping, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, so, but that was, that was really good. I really enjoyed uh, the connections I made there and, and the knowledge. That I
0: learned in uh, going through that MBA program. Well, it's like I feel like when you get an engineering degree, there's so much technical stuff that we have to learn. It's so jam-packed with the technical side of things that there really isn't an opportunity to learn much about just running a business and client relations and that kind of stuff. It's more on the fly. So to get that training formally seems like that's probably a really good fit for an engineering firm.
1: Yeah, it, I, I agree, but was what was interesting is I I only saw a handful of consultants doing that during the time that I was doing it. It was mostly uh, Rockwell Collins, now known as Collins Aerospace, and John mm-hmm. Deere people. I mean they okay. they were sending seemed like 90% of the classes were filled with Rockwell Collins or John Deere people.
0: Uh, sure. So, so like engineering, but, but more like electrical and mechanical. Like... Yes,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah seems to be pretty popular for you know at least some type of engineering to marry that with the MBA program so yeah.
0: So you talked a little bit about um, you know when you were getting your bachelor's degree and you were working and also playing a sport, which is at the collegiate level is definitely more than a part-time job probably, and then also going to school. So how do you think that grit and just that work ethic from that time, how did, how did that carry over or what lessons and skills did you learn during that time that you brought into your professional life?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I didn't grow up with a ton of money, so I always had a job. So I think I think having a job and, and, and juggling even high school uh, studies with a job as, and sports uh, really just kind of naturally led towards I could handle it at the collegiate level. I mean, it's obviously it's incremental that you have more and more responsibility and you can take on more. But uh, yeah, I would say that the difference between the time requirement for junior college football versus Division One. Uh, Big Ten football is amazingly different. And so, um, you know, I, I found some nice mentors, especially my, my uh, position coach at that time, who was really good at uh, giving me some pointers on how to, to basically uh, task management, schedule management, and that uh, really helped. Uh, And I will say that uh, Iowa, as I know a lot of other programs do, they do have really good academic support staffs. Um, now, they didn't have tutors at, at study hall that, or study table uh, mm-hmm. that knew much about engineering. So yeah. they always tried to get someone else to help with that, um, yeah. which is interesting because once, once I was done playing football but was doing my engineering degree, they, I basically worked as a tutor for the, the athletic department on math and science topics. Okay. So there's there's a few doctors now running around that, that benefited from my tutoring back in the day <laughs> that were playing football. So uh, kind of an interesting 180 that, or 360, I guess if you want to call it. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think just time management and prioritizing, you know, when things need to be done. Those are types of skills. You know, it's never perfect, but you develop them. And I think that's translated into, you know, once I was a consultant, you know, managing 12 different projects at the same time or, and, and, you know, home life and and all of those things together. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's everybody, something that everybody needs to deal with at some point.
0: Yeah. And sometimes the most pressing thing isn't always like the one that feels the most pressing isn't the one that you should be giving priority to and just trying to figure all that out, right?
1: Absolutely. And learning how to delegate and to trust others yeah. to take on tasks was something that I really struggled with, but I think, you know, I got some really good training at Green. They really invest in their, in their staff um, when you're there. And, you know, I took um, a number of leadership type courses that helped me learn how to delegate better and to trust other staff, because that was something that I always thought in the back of my head, if I want it done right, I got to do it myself, but you can't do everything, you know, right. and you're not going to let anybody else grow if you hold on to all those things so tightly. So it really is about giving other people a chance to grow and, and more, more times than not, they'll not let you down. So,
0: Yeah. Well, and at first it's going to be less efficient, right? And you have to give it time to become efficient. I'm also, um, so I'm thinking of another full circle moment here with your tutoring um, tenure. Um, Yeah. You got your degree in math, right? So like you did get an opportunity to kind of teach math for a period of time there too, right? So.
1: Yeah. So that is interesting. So I didn't really elaborate on it, but football kind of got in the way of doing student teaching as well Um, so I never actually got my teaching certificate although I took a number of clock courses in the education department that were geared towards getting me ready to be a math teacher in high school so yeah that definitely helped later on when I ended up being a tutor for the athletic department and I was trying to teach you know some even calculus to some guys that were trying to do pre-med so um Yeah. So that, that was interesting how I thought at that point, maybe that was wasted education, but there really is no such thing as a wasted education. Uh, you'll eventually use those things and, and you'll learn from them regardless. So,
0: Yeah. Do you ever think you'd go back to teaching or go into teaching more?
1: I think I would love it because I really liked the mentoring aspect when when I had enough experience that I could mentor you know, a fresh grad you know something with you know someone with two or three years experience or whatever just trying to learn what it's like to be a a civil engineer I really really enjoyed mentoring that was fun Mm -hmm. Um, and I honestly I, I hope Rick Foss at some point sees this video because he's been an inspiration to me for a number of years but the fact that he now gets to basically be a professor after a full career in civil engineering that is so cool and I bet he just loves that and I could yeah. see myself at some point potentially, um, if if anybody would ever have me to do that, I would love to to be a you know a lecturer or a professor or something like that at a small school. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, it's really so, neat. I
0: totally see that. Like, so I'm thinking back, like you're just like engaging. And I'm thinking back to, um, when for ASCE, we used, we had to do that, uh, PR university t- situation deal or whatever. And like, I was super nervous to do that and just like kind of fumbling over my words and you get up there and you just talk right through it. And I'm like that, that is a teacher. Like that's teaching one-on-one right there.
1: Yeah. But you didn't know that i I have put a lot of years into becoming com- more comfortable speaking in those types of situations because it was something that I knew I was a weakness of mine, and I forced myself to be, put myself in situations okay. where to do that. And it started small, where you know the embarrassment factor was maybe a little bit mm-hmm. less, and eventually it got to the point where, like the rollout for the infrastructure report card, I was doing a news. Conference, you were press conference person for that. So, and doing, you know, and there's been a few times at some conferences that I've presented uh, as well. So, yeah, I'm certainly, uh, I don't consider myself an expert at public speaking or anything, but it was something that I saw as a weakness and and really tried to make it at least average, I guess.
0: (laughs) No, it was way better than average. It was great. Well, thank you you're very good at that just being engaging and like and even like at our conferences like up in the front um I mean that's good training for that too right like putting yourself in those positions that are uncomfortable but it's great training but it just always like you always have like a joke to go with it or something so yeah yep, yep. But joke you paying attention and I, I I think some people in that setting are caught off guard by humor <laughs> <laughs> and I
1: love that <laughs> Yeah, keep on guessing, right?
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, So what's a risk that you've had to take to get where you are right now?
1: Ah, hmm. Wow, a big big risk was I had the opportunity, I guess it was the summer of 2009. I was working in Cedar Rapids at the HR Green office in Cedar Rapids, but an opportunity came up to start managing the office that they had in the Quad Cities in Moline. Illinois and that was something that was I was flattered to be asked to do that but um that was that was definitely something that I was not quite ready for and okay um but I decided well this is going to be a great boost to my career um to take on a whole bunch more it's basically right at the line where I was about to become a project manager as well so basically in the course of a couple of weeks I was starting to work out of that office. I was the office manager. I was now a project manager and I was in charge of a handful of clients too. So it was like pretty much just head down, work on projects. And now all of a sudden you're totally turning a corner in your career. And that was a big change, but I had some good support, you know, some really good employees over in that office. And my wife was, was great with that as well. She knew that that was a great opportunity for me and she provided a lot of support, but it ended up being that we, because of her career as a, as a teacher and just the way things were going with my kids or one was one and one was five at the time, uh, we did not fully make the move physically over to the quad cities. And instead, uh, I was commuting from Iowa city on a daily basis. So, um, it really depends because the I-74 bridge was, is kind of notorious for being a a bottleneck for traffic. So if I didn't have any of those issues, it was about an hour door to door. And so that was the one way. So that wasn't ideal, but it was something that still was a growth opportunity for me. And, and, you know, yeah, I think I grew a lot from that, definitely.
0: So. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and that's something I see in you. Like you, like you were saying before. Like maybe public speaking at first. Like it was something you knew was a weakness. So you like worked at that, and like this was a challenge. Um. And and you were okay with like starting something new and not knowing it, right? And that's I I see you doing that time and time again, just from our interactions and with ASE and stuff too, where you see something and like maybe you're not like maybe it, it's a stretch, but like you you thrive in that stretch environment to like grow into that. Like you are continuously growing, it seems like, so.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. I, I, I'm, I've got a lot of interest and if something just is slightly curious to me, I just, I'm at a fault, I, I kind of explore it to the its logical conclusion. Okay. So, you know, there's things like, I was clueless about economics. And, you know, maybe I'd taken, you know, you have to take an economics for managerial, you know, for managers in your MBA coursework, but that just sparked a whole bunch of interest. And I started reading economics books and listening to them on CD or on my iPod while I was driving back and forth from the Quad Cities. And so I've probably listened to 40 to 50 hours of economics stuff just from driving and you're probably oh that's really exciting for us to put on this podcast and people are going to love this but it, it was something that i didn't know like what the role of the federal reserve played in in mm-hmm. a in fiat currency and um there's a whole bunch of things i can get into i'd be super ner- nerdy and and not interesting to your viewers so <laughs>
0: yeah but but, you know what is interesting was like in 2008 with the market crash like that's all economics like and it it is everyone and if you know the backstory and the reasoning behind all of that like that's empowering and that's super interesting so don't don't sell the subject matter low
1: (laughs) I I think uh, I find it to be tremendously fascinating but when I start to talk to people or I could just start to see their eyes glazing over I'm like let's move on to something else maybe crack a joke or something <laughs> but yeah so, I mean even things like um well I mean like coaching like I, I really like coaching I kind of kind of ties into the mentorship type stuff that I've done so mm-hmm. while um so I've been involved and I you know you mentioned Iowa Football Club we do uh, a yearly youth camp
0: okay. and so
1: I've been participating as a camp uh, coach in that since 2011 and we didn't have, a, have one last summer, and it's unlikely that we're going to have one this summer just because of a variety of factors um, mm-hmm. and the planning that goes into those. But now that has translated into my son, who's 11. He's more and more involved in organized sports, and I've been able to coach him in football, basketball, and uh, baseball as well, and, and do it in such a way that I can kind of separate my dad role, and now I'm your coach and try to teach or treat him the same as I would, you know, the other the other guys on his team. So
0: Yeah. Well and it's like if you think of it from an education standpoint, so like being a collegiate level athlete is it's pretty much like you have your doctorate in coaching too because like I mean it's not a formal thing right but I'm I guess all I'm trying to say is that you have a lot of experience in those settings and being mentored by coaches and mentoring other players too and then to have I mean how many years have do you have in organized sports like
1: 15? Oh yeah I mean from from seventh grade through you know what about I I want to do math, not like I have a math degree or something here, but, but yeah, from seventh grade through junior college and, and, and then, you know, three years at Iowa. Um, so, but you, you also, I think you learn from the good coaches, but you also learn from the bad coaches, like, okay, maybe I'm not going to approach that type of situation in that manner. Um,
0: if if I want to have
1: the respect of my athletes. So,
0: right.
1: And I, I won't go into any further detail on that.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yep. If there's any names being used, they were all great coaches. right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) So what else are you passionate about?
1: Well, uh, believe it or not, even though I played a lot of football, basketball was my favorite sport growing up. Okay. So I, up until a few years ago, I have been playing pickup basketball multiple times a week. Uh, mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember it was something that just always did um, but I started to have some uh, some body issues as I get older and um, I remember after one Sunday night game up the in the, the rec league uh, that they've got here in North Liberty I don't know I was banging against some 20-something year old guy that was like 6'8 and he was 270 and you know, at that time I still weighed about 245, 250. So, I, And I was lowering them, so I had leverage. But I remember my back hurting so bad. And then I actually had to stay home from work for two days because of back spasms. I just could not get out of bed. My back hurt so bad. Oh, it was terrible. And that was the final straw. My wife, you know, she was like, you were always so sore after playing. And then this was the final straw. And I said, okay. Uh, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I got to find something else. Now, the reason I played, so I played in basketball till I'm going to be 47 here in, in September. So I played until I was about 44. Um, and that actually, um, the night before I turned 43, I blew out my knee, my ACL, playing
0: basketball in, basketball?
1: in that same league. Yes. Okay. And the the drive to get back on the court was what allowed me to basically push through the physical therapy and do everything that I needed to do because that was a goal of mine. That I said, I wanna play again without a brace on at as high level as I can. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the driving force that I kept in the back of my mind that was pushing me through all of these difficult rehabilitation exercises and things of that nature. So, um, and it worked. So I was back on the court within six months of the surgery and then I played a whole nother year and then it, was, it ended up being my back. That was the problem, not my knee. My knee has never yeah. given me problems since then. But once I gave that up, I needed something competitive in my life. And I had start to, started to dabble a little bit in bicycling.
0: Okay.
1: And because I had successfully uh, referred an employee that got hired at HR Green and, and stayed there at least six months, um, I was able to get a recruiting bonus. that and i decided hey this is money i didn't expect let's let's buy you know a a road bike and so i did that and it wasn't a lot it was a pretty inexpensive road bike but ever since then i've i've been riding, and through using a there's a particularly popular app called strava that allows you to track your your rides Okay. both against yourself but also it's kind of a social media type thing against your friends mm-hmm. and so that has kind of replaced basketball as my competitive release where I'm also always trying to beat myself and get a new personal record a new PR or try to beat someone else on my friends list on a particular route so mm-hmm. biking has become a passion of mine and uh, it's actually been very great for my health too my doctor says I'm in and some of the best health that you've seen for someone my age and I've lost 25 pounds riding and it doesn't hurt my back doesn't hurt my knees and it's been a lot of fun a lot of fun to get into biking so
0: and it's good for your heart too right
1: it's absolutely absolutely yeah yeah
0: so I'm I'm also sensing a little um similarity in your life experiences here as far as like setting a goal like a pretty lofty goal and going for it yeah like do you, how? When is your earliest memory of challenging yourself like that? So setting a goal and then going for it.
1: Uh, that's a good question. So I'm, I think as a freshman in high school, I said, you know, I want to rush for a thousand yards, you know, at least one season in high school. Now, I didn't I didn't get that until my senior year, but I, I did rush for a thousand yards my senior year in high school. And then I had a similar goal when I ended up going to junior college. Like, like I'd love to run for a thousand yards, and um, I almost got that two seasons. I had nine hundred some the first year, and then um, sixteen hundred yards my sophomore year. So uh, I surpassed the goal uh, that year. Um, But then when I got to Iowa, it's like, okay, fullbacks don't get the ball that much, so a thousand yards is probably not in the cards for me, especially when we had Cedric Shaw and Tavian Banks and Tim Dwight on the team. You know, those are the guys that should be hearing the ball, not me. Let me be a battering ram for those guys. (laughs) So, so my goal was, uh, basically try to letter, you know, because I was a walk-on, so there was not a lot expected out of me. And I'm like, I'm going to play enough special teams, uh, whatever it takes to, to become a letterman. And I, was able to get that my my uh, uh, my junior year, um, mostly through special teams. But then my goal, my senior year was, I want to basically be in the rotation. I want to be in the top two, um, at least second string, so that I'm playing quite a bit on offense as well. And I was able to achieve that as well. Um, but I'd say yeah, it all, it pretty much all goes back to as a freshman. Once once I really had the passion, freshman in high school, a passion for sports that. Um, started setting goals. And, and there's a lot of smaller goals that get to those big ones. You know, uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of lifting goals, weightlifting goals. Um, I don't remember them, but I'm sure that I wanted to bench press, you know, 185 pounds, a certain number of reps, you know, by a certain time. And uh, I'd always work with my coaches to kind of map out uh, a way to get there, you know, just get there by dreaming the goal. You got to make a plan to get to it. And, Usually, that involves incremental improvements until you get to it.
0: So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you feel like that count carries over professionally too? Like, do you feel like along your career, have you set goals professionally in the same way and the same mindset?
1: Um. Well, see, that's that's where it's it's a little bit different because it's. I mean, I know in the context of sports, it's still a team, but a lot of the goals that I was setting at least were things I had. At, for the most part, almost completely, complete control over, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's me choosing to get up at 6am and go lift. you know, before school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of those things, I think, t- to kind of make myself the best, both athlete and or, you know, a student that I could have been, I had a lot of control over. Um, now, in the team sense, we, we would make team goals, you know, I know, in high school basketball, me and my friends, we really wanted to go to state, um in basketball and we ended up going my senior year. Uh, so, you know, the team goals I guess are, are more relatable or transferable to a work setting because um it's one of those things that you can only achieve it as a team. And so but what's great about it is that you're when you're working out or being together in a work environment and you're holding each other accountable, you know, that's that's where things you really do get a shared satisfaction out of achieving goals and you know it it might might seem like oh that's not as uh I guess I'll use the word sexy of a goal to you know to bring a project in on budget on time versus making state basketball but it's still something that's important you know that's something the client expects so to lay out the groundwork at the beginning of a project and actually achieve that um you know there's definitely some shared successes that uh, I've been a part of my career and it's always good to make sure that you celebrate those and not just move mm-hmm. on to the next project but hey we did it you know, we met that deadline um we met the budget and the clients were super happy so those are the types of things that you know on a project by project basis yes we would set goals and um, you know we didn't always achieve them you know there's a lot of, a lot of times factors that you can't you can't control both individually or as a team mm-hmm. but. But, you know, if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a plan, um, you're just stabbing blindly in the dark and there's usually never, usually never achieve success in that way. So,
0: Right. Well, as you're talking, another thing that I noticed about you in team environments, whether it be at work or like in ASCE, different team environments that I've seen you be a part of is that you expect greatness. So not perfection, but greatness. So like you expect everyone in the team to be at a, at a great level and like giving their best, right? Like, and, and holding them accountable to that. And I can't help, but think that that goes back to your sports days too. I mean, you still have your sports days. You're not out of your sports days.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll do it until they, they throw me into a, a, you know, a walker or something. But even that, I'll probably be racing people at the nursing home in my walker so. That's a great Um, one. Yeah, I think, but but I, I, well, but to to, I guess to uh, elaborate on that, it's it's really about empowering folks to be the best that they can be. You know, it's Mm -hmm. um, not everybody is Michael Jordan on the basketball court. You know, not everybody is is Walter Payton on the football field. Um, I should probably use a more more recent references that, than that for the younger viewers or, or <laughs> listeners, but those are my heroes growing up. Um, but it, it really is about realizing that everybody has a set of skills and everybody has a chance to contribute, whatever whatever small way that is. And And if you can set people up in a way that they can achieve and can see some success within those frameworks, I think it's just you know, it just ties in and, and, and helps everybody. Um, you know, I guess to continue to use a sports analogy, you know, there's a lot of point guards out there like, um, uh, like Isaiah Thomas and he was not known as a great scorer or or a great defender, but he was really good at distributing the ball. And, you know, he, he was able to win a couple of NBA championships because of the small role he played in helping others shine. So, you know, I think it's always good to think about examples in the sports field and, and they can be very uh, al- applicable to the business world
0: mm-hmm. yeah. or
1: other professional settings.
0: Yeah, all great stuff for sure. Yeah. insightful. So who
1: inspires you? Uh, well, I, I mentioned my Uncle Steve. Uh, he was a huge inspiration to me. Um, unfortunately, he, he lost a battle with cancer um, about eight years ago. Um, but the way that he attacked that and um, was not going to let it define him was super inspiring to yeah. me. I mean, initially, he, he inspired me because of his career as a civil engineer. But the way that he found faith in Jesus and the way that he strengthened his relationship with his family and fought cancer um the way the way that he did that and the example he he laid out for me and for others is always going to be an inspi- inspiration to me and i have a picture of him and not uh, him and i um that summer that i spent out with them uh in 99 and you know and i'm still in constant communication with his wife uh with his widow julie and Um, Their daughter, Taylor, uh, who's a cousin of mine, and uh, he was probably my biggest inspiration from a a professional and personal level. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that's because my parents were divorced, um, and my dad was in the Air Force, and and I didn't see him as much, Um, but uh, I would say my Uncle Steve continues to be, because I know he's up in heaven, and uh, I think about him often. He's still an inspiration to me.
0: That's so awesome, and what a testament, too, of just being, like, a whole, like, a holistic everything, right? Spiritual, like, professional, and and also family-wise, right? Just all of it, and getting those priorities straight, like, that's super cool.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, but there's a number of other folks professionally that have been great inspirations to me, Um, you know, Rick Foss, who I mentioned, uh, who's Mm -hmm. a professor at the University of Iowa, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of folks, uh, Tim Cutsforth at, at HR Green, Ryan Simbro at HR Green. Uh, the, the list is pretty long. Uh, Teresa Stadelman, I don't know, do you know Teresa at all? Mm-hmm. Maybe, okay. She's also an inspiration. Uh, so this is, I've been blessed to be around a number of great people. Um, and I hope to continue to be that around great people and my new adventure so
0: yes love it okay so to wrap up i've got a couple of uh rapid fire questions here for
1: you okay Okay, now do it does that mean that i can only answer in one or two words or
0: a phrase i'll give you a phrase okay okay Okay. least favorite home improvement task grouting grouting
1: grouting tile
0: okay (laughs) How about getting the old grout out that sucks too? <laughs> well,
1: I don't know. Because um, I've never done it where we just take the old grout out. We take the whole stuff out, the whole thing out. Okay. So you're just kind of banging around and 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 scraping out the old tiles. But I don't sure. think I ever want to do that again. I'll, I'll hire a professional to do that next time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, I would agree.
0: Um, okay. How about your most favorite home improvement task?
1: Um, building garage organizational okay. um well shelves or whatever in the garage right. yeah yeah i right. love that because it's just you know it's dimensional lumber and plywood and cut and you know i was measured twice and cut once
0: yes um yeah.
1: and yeah I, i've done that in my last three garages and and i plan it out usually on CAD ahead of time yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's really good. annoying so you <laughs>
0: <laughs> if we have the software you just gotta do it i
1: feel
0: like so I know. okay favorite podcast
1: uh there's one by scott horton out there that okay. i really like um i can't remember what it's called but he's um from a political standpoint he is very anti-war as am i um so i you know his insight into what's going on in the middle east and how we've as USA has our dirty little dirty little fingers and all of the geopolitical stuff that's going on in there and our history of intervention there. It's it's mind blowing and it just it's really sad how long we've spent trillions of dollars and thousands of lives over there for for what? And it's really sad. So uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Got a little um,
1: deep there, but that's what I listened to. <laughs>
0: okay. Good to know, good to know. Scott Scott Horton Scott yeah
1: Scott Horton okay I got it written
0: down okay so favorite concert that you've ever been
1: to ooh hmm okay so when I was living in Colorado it was nice because big musical acts were coming to Colorado all all the time but one of my favorite bands back in then and still is back uh, is Tool they're kind of a prog uh, metal type outfit a progressive metal. And I got to see them at Red Rocks, which is a pretty famous amphitheater up in the foothills. It's just a natural, well, they've improved it, but it's a natural stone and rock uh, amphitheater. And uh, we got our, I think my friend who was in the IT department at, at CH2ML at the time was like, he had a robocall set up to like call this hotline to be able to get these tickets. And he got tickets in the third row, which in the is actually at stage level okay so we were probably 50 feet away from the band at eye level and got to see tool and that was amazing so yeah that was that was my best one
0: and the weather's always perfect
1: right oh always until you get 14 inches of rain in, in a- <laughs> or 14 inches of snow in april no. a-
0: yes of
1: course it melts in a day or, or two but
0: Yes, yes. That's where my favorite, mine was Tom Petty at Red Rocks. That's my oh,
1: favorite. Awesome. I'm glad Thank you me. shared a, a little thread of familiarity there. I would yes. be good too. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. Favorite vacation.
1: Oh, well, a couple Christmases ago, uh, we drove the minivan with everybody, including two dogs. So four, four, humans and two dogs we drove to flagstaff arizona okay um, and spent uh about a week there and uh, driving through you know we didn't take the the straightest interstate routes we took some some back backcountry routes and it was all paved but going through colorado and new mexico and and utah and um and seeing a lot of neat things and kind of taking our time to get there and then spending a lot of time there and then came back. That was probably my favorite because there was a lot of close time with the kids and being right. we able to take the dogs too. So
0: Yeah. Everyone like everybody that you care was like a care sure. about like in yeah. one vehicle.
1: And they're littler dogs. So I wouldn't have okay. I would not have done that with you know, <laughs> great Danes or something. Like that.
0: That's funny. Okay. Well, that's all I have. So what? thanks for being here. Um, I just have to say, I look up to you as one of the great leaders in our industry, um, and especially in the Iowa area, you just, you like your leadership abilities and, and the way that you, uh, train other people, the way that you inspire other people is, is very atypical. Like it, it's, it's, above and beyond. So, well,
1: cool. uh, thank you for that thank compliment. Thank you for
0: your mentorship. <laughs> well, I've always
1: been very impressed with you and your career. And I, I hope that there's some chances for us to collaborate a little bit more. Um, and Thank you so much for asking me to be on this with you. I, I think it's great that you're doing something like this outside of the normal constraints of a consultant and mom. Um,
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, we are social, right? So we have to be a little bit social.
1: Well, and and with things getting a little bit more back to normal, maybe I'll see you at a, at a conference here and there, because, you know, one of the things that I really like about my job is I still have a responsibility to be active in the civil engineering community and and go to uh, conferences and things like that. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to maybe have a toast with each other here.
0: Yes, I will look for your hospitality booth. Yes.
1: <laughs> I'll have some swag to handle. <laughs> i got a box of it over here, so.
0: Okay, okay, <laughs> that's good. Well, yeah, congrats on the new venture too. And, and thanks again for, for being here.
1: Thank you. And I wish you all the best uh, in your continued uh, podcasts and your career as well. Thank you. All right.